from Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. You are listening to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices. This program is presented by the Association for New Canadians and CHMR 93.5 FM with funding from the Community Radio Fund of Canada. This program is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and more. Welcome to yet another episode here on Global Frequencies. We are now on episode 13. My name is Nabila Qureshi, and today's episode is a special one because it is focusing on Ramadan. So before I even get into the structure and makeup of today's episode, my warmest wishes to those who are observing the month of Ramadan, which a few of our guests will actually tell us more about using various forms of lived experiences and observations and of course, knowledge. Business Diversity Officer at the Association for New Canadians, Renata Lang, converses with Zainova, who is also the producer of Global Frequencies. Now, the reason why this one is particularly interesting is because Zai, as part of our segment on global music, will explore a few sentimental pieces of music that he had grown up listening to in his home country of Indonesia. And through this conversation, we can get to know what the culture of Indonesia is like, especially during you know the month of Ramadan. And um, I found this one particularly insightful because through the depiction of these tracks, you can actually imagine, or at least try to imagine, the story that Zai weaves for his listeners and uh, Renata of course does an excellent job at you know getting this wealth of information and knowledge from him so in this particular episode or segment of the episode you will hear two songs that Zai remembers during his time growing up and secondly we have Yusra Zen talking about how she has observed the month of Ramadan as a person of Sudanese ethnicity having grown up for a significant part of her life in Libya. And finally, Sophia Solomon, who is the Community Settlement and Integration Counselor also at the Association for New Canadians. And she shares in conversation with Zai what the process and the journey is like for an individual or newcomers trying to become permanent residents in Canada. And there are a lot of experiences that they have to go through from finding physicians and opening bank accounts and familiarizing oneself with where groceries can be purchased, you know, the types of documents that you need, etc. So this is the structure of episode 13. In our segment on global music, Renata Lang interviews Zai Nova to find out what life was like for Zai growing up in Indonesia, especially during the month of Ramadan. Now, prior to this, I have to admit, I didn't know a lot about, you know, the uniqueness of how Ramadan is observed on the island called 
Banka Island, which lies east of Sumatra, and this is where Zai is from. In this conversation, Zai talks about what it was like growing up uh, practicing the Islamic faith and the types of songs that he recalls listening to quite a fair bit and the stories behind each of these songs. Welcome to Global Music. I am Renata Lang, your guest co-host today. This month is a holy month for Muslims all over the world, known as Ramadan, or fasting month. They do not eat during daylight hours, and depending on where you live in the world, this length of time can differentiate. And here in Newfoundland and Labrador, this goes from about 4 a.m. till almost 8 p.m., of course, with the hours changing every day. Today on Global Music, we will be talking to a man who loves music and will be sharing with us the traditions of the music during Ramadan as it brings out the spirit of the season. So what I know about Ramadan is that every nation of people have their own traditions. Now, with 17,000 islands in the country of Indonesia, even there, there is so much diversity. So today, we'll peek into the culture of Banka Island in Sumatra, where my guest will explore with us. Let's have a chat with Zai Nova. Zai, what are you at? <laughs> uh, Renata, thank you very much for interviewing me. I'm very excited to explore just a little bit the culture of Indonesia, especially in the region where I was born and raised in Bangka Island. And memories I grew up with and celebrating this uh, holy season for Muslims in Bangka Island, it's, it was really wonderful. So tell us to start, what is your religious background? I, I grew up and taught Islam by my family. So our family, the roots of family, because we are Malay, Malay mostly. In Bangka Island, there are the majority of the population they are Malay mm. number one and second will be the Tionghoa so you grew up practicing Islam so yep very very much can you share with us some of the most memorable moments of practicing Islam in particularly during this significant month in the holy month of Ramadan yep so uh, I, I get back from from that uh, first you know uh, since I was junior high school, uh, I studied at Islamic junior high school and then Islamic boarding school for years. And then I went to university at uh, State Islamic University. So I studied Islam more than 17 years. Yeah, I did practice wow. that <laughs> that uh, traditions a lot because it's bring the memory. Even to these days, my mother and my family, when they call me during Ramadan, they always recall or uh, just tell me about when when I was a child. You know what? When you were a kid, and this and that, this and that is like bring the memory. It's like a really, a really a beautiful memories. Uh, you know, it's a lot of traditions that bring us to get together and enjoy during the the, the Ramadan, especially in the village, because uh, back then. Uh, when I was uh, like seven years old boy uh, to 12 or 13, we went to forest to pick up wild fruits and uh, brought back uh, home. Uh, we 
ate the fruit together during Ramadan or for iftar, we call it, uh, or berbuka puasa, uh, or we just break the fast. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we ate fruits from the forest, milk, and when fishing, we brought the fish home and my mother will fry and cook the, the meals for us. It's a lot of memories, like a, like a beautiful things as a country boy. Collecting, harvesting the food yeah. from the land around you that you lived on. Yeah. Wow. With, with my friends that, uh, you know, that this, this uh, fruits grow wild in the forest. We call it klakak. Right. Klakak is a, like, nobody owned the land. This mm-hmm. belonged to uh, people. So people can harvest whatever they want in that forest. That's so beautiful. we brought... What was your favorite fruit that you picked? Mangosteen mm. and durian and mm. chimpadak and, uh, you know, like jackfruits. Uh, that's all wild that people can pick and bring home. So it's like uh, uh, back then it was just wonderful. And just sometimes uh, during the season will be wild mushroom, you know, wild mushroom in the forest. We just pick the mushroom and bring home. So see, it was it was a really wonderful experience. Wow, some very uh, very satisfying iftar meals. And yeah. Let's go to music now for a moment that was played during the holy month. Share with us a song that is really close to your heart. When I was at the State Islamic University in Yogyakarta, there is a song that I like the the spirit of this song. It's called Tombo Ati. Tombo Ati Ono Lima Perkarane. That's in Javanese, right? In Javanese, not, I don't understand Javanese because uh, there are many languages in Indonesia and I don't speak Javanese, but mm. this song is in Javanese. Uh, uh, I listen to this song a lot, but the meaning in that, there are five remedies of the heart. Wow. So uh, this song is uh, by a singer named Opik. And he is a, a very popular religious singer. So in that lyric, there are five remedies of the heart. The first one is read and study the Quran. This is a really deep meaning. That means when you read Quran, don't just read, but you have to study Quran. Study Quran means you have to dig every single word there, the meaning and the context, all kind of stuff. And also the grammar, on, in, in, if in English, or nahuwa sarab in uh, Arabic, or balaga, uh, it's like metaphor, something like that. So mm. it's, it, Quran itself is the highest level, to me, is highest level poetry. Mm-hmm. That you cannot compete with that, with this, this, kind, of, uh, this kind of words. Beside yeah. uh, the, the, what's written there, uh, fusah, right? The uh, Fusah, mostly people in in the in Middle East uh, who speak Arabic themselves, they don't really understand much this word anymore. Exactly, and for our listeners, it's very similar to Shakespearean English. Yes, it's a. It is m- metaphorical. It is a totally different uh, sentence structure, yeah. and and so for us as English speakers, we even had to study. Yeah. and analyze and yeah. unpack yeah. the meaning of, of that type of yeah. language. So this, sure. this is this a really, really, a really deep because uh, this uh, sometimes uh, give critic to many Muslims. Mm. Uh, do not just read Quran, but study it. Mm-hmm. Understand inside that and take the value or the core of this uh, every verses there for your way of life. So that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, the main thing in this in these uh, remedies. <laughs> so the second he said pray in midnight prayer uh, prayer 
Midnight prayer is very important for Muslim because when you sit down and close your eyes and uh, what they call zikr uh, or recite the name uh, or say the name of God for uh, repeat and you reflect reflect of your your own life mm. that you want to do better for mm. your own life and yeah this prayer is is uh, is like uh, imagine you wake up uh, at one or two. A.M. and outside only sound of crickets and sound of wind is like very peaceful and that's the best way to connect your heart with your creator something like that. You've painted a really beautiful picture for us. Zai, why don't you play a piece of the song for us to listen to? Okay, sure. Let's play it now. That was a very uh, peaceful and uh, a very, very touching song. Now, I'd like to ask you about this second song, Ada Anak Bertanya Pada Bapaknya. <laughs> you have to learn Bahasa Indonesia now. I do, Zach. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about this song. This song, Ada Anak Bertanya Pada Bapaknya. There was a child who asked to his father. So that's the title of the song. So, you know, some kids sometimes ask questions. Why do you have to be hungry? Yes. Uh, probably they will ask, this is ridiculous. Hungry is not fun. <laughs> and it's like when you say, happy Ramadan. What do you mean happy Ramadan? There's no happy in hungry. <laughs> mm. So, uh, so it's 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 uh, you know. So this child asks again to his father, "What's the point of tadarus and tarawih?" Tadarus means reading Quran and understanding Quran, and also tarawih. Tarawih is a prayer, uh, another additional prayer, special prayer during Ramadan that can be an hour. It's very long. So uh, mm. the the child asks that question of that as well. Why do we have to do tadarus or uh, understand Quran here? Mm -hmm. So the father answer, uh, hungry teaches us to always be humble to other. Imagine in a wealthy country, they can eat whatever they, they want, right? Mm -hmm. And they can, I mean, throw the food, waste the food. Meanwhile, in another country, poor people, they cannot afford to eat something. So this fasting, that's why you have to be hungry to teach you to be humble. Mm -hmm. This is how poor people is feeling every day. That's the lesson from this song. Tadarus as well is to understand Quran more. Mm. Like earlier, the same song, uh, uh, the same meaning from that uh, song Tombo Ati. Uh, the song belongs to Bimbo here, saying that as well. Tadarus is to understand Quran. Mm. Learning. And Bimbo is the name of the band. Yeah. I, from my experience with uh, fasting, Zai, as you know, I'm, I'm observing um, some of the aspects of Ramadan this year, and 
The fasting I found has also brought me calmness, inner reflection, makes you very peaceful, very present. And in some ways, I can't quite explain why that is. And in others, I would say that you're so focused on overcoming the tiredness, the hunger, and the symptoms yeah. of a lack of food and water that you don't have time to think about all the other stuff going on in your life. Yeah. It really does center you. And so I find those are some additional experiences of uh, the uniqueness and, and what fasting brings to, to one's life. It is a very spiritual experience and it's easy to judge and assume from outside, but some things you don't really know until you get to experience it yourself or we get to walk in your shoes for a moment, Yeah, as you've shared with us. So Zai, overall, can you tell us what Ramadan means to you? This is uh, what I have been missing so much. I left my hometown when I was 17. All I got is only the memories from my childhood to 17 before I left my hometown uh, to adventure my personal life. So mm -hmm. the moment that I'm uh, like I'm sitting here, what I'm thinking about is the memory that uh, how this practice bring us together, even uh, like my brothers and my sisters, my, my father, and uh, we were laughing together in one, uh, you know, we were sitting on the floor, three of my sisters and uh, four of my brothers and my mother and my father, and we ate, you know, iftar, or uh, we call it uh, breaking the fast. So that, that was uh, bring us togetherness, the memories that uh, that's still in my head to these days. And when my mother called me, what they miss a lot is me. Because mm. I've been away for uh, almost, I think almost 20 years now. It's like they really want to celebrate this month uh, together, sitting with the person that's, uh, you know, funny boy. So it was, it was uh, just... Um, nostalgic. Nostalgic. It's a really meaningful to experience that with my family again. So during this time is a, sometimes the hardest moment in my life is I cannot celebrate. It's like imagine uh, uh, if you go Thanksgiving, you don't come home and Christmas, you don't come home to see your family and you don't know how your nephews and nieces uh, grow up and suddenly they go to university and call you uncle. So it's like a lot of that I have missed in, in my life. So mm. this moment that's, uh, that sometimes reflects me that this moment is very meaningful. Well, thank you, Zai, for shedding a light into what life was like in Indonesia as a practicing Muslim man. That was our guest on the other side of the mic today, Zai Nova, and I am your guest co-host, Renata Lang, for Global Frequencies.
After this break, Yusra Zen, who is a youth living here in St. John's, will talk to me about what Ramadan was like for her in Libya. And she adds a layer of intricacy into the conversation by also paralleling that with how Ramadan is observed among the Sudanese community that she identifies with. Individuals who experienced sexual misconduct as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces or as an employee of the Department of National Defence and or staff of the non-public funds Canadian Forces may qualify for financial compensation and participate in a restorative engagement program. Claims for financial compensation and the restorative engagement program must be filed by November 24, 2021. File a claim. Participate in restorative engagement. Be heard. File a claim at caf-dndsexualmisconductclassaction.ca. You are listening to Global Frequencies. Diverse problems, diverse voices. When I reached out to Yusra Zen, I told her that, you know, Yusra, we, we would love to know about your experience, your story with respect to observing uh, these 30 days of uh, fasting during the month of Ramadan. And she was more than delighted to be on the show. Uh, we chatted a bit before we actually started recording the interview or, you know, the conversation. And um, we had a beautiful bonding exercise, I would, I would say, just prior to this conversation. So here's Yusra about celebrating Ramadan in Libya and amongst the Sudanese community and a little bit about how she celebrates it here in St. John's with her family as well. Today on Global Frequencies, I have a friend who I have often described as not just being beautiful, but also extremely knowledgeable and extremely passionate about wanting to pursue a post-secondary education in the field of science. I'm in conversation today with Yusra Sen, who will be chatting about how she and perhaps her family have celebrated and experienced Ramadan in Libya, in Sudan, and perhaps even here in St. John. So welcome to the show, Yusra. Hi, Nabila. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. So, um, Yusra, I, you know, the standard question that I usually ask uh, my guests is to introduce themselves. So... What can we know about you? My name is Yusra Zain. I'm from Sudan, but I was uh, born and raised in Libya, Tripoli. Uh, I spent most of my life there, but as a Sudanese, I didn't have a chance to visit Sudan, but actually I have the, ch- the only chance was for me, and I hope in the future I will visit Sudan again. So I spent also in Sudan uh, two years. So Yusra, you know, as part of our Ramadan special, um, you know, we're trying our best to get to understand the essence of this observance. Um, So before we get into how you have experienced it, uh, what can you tell us about what Ramadan is and what it means to you? Basically, Ramadan is the nine month of the Islamic calendar. It is the Islamic month of fasting in which participating Muslim uh, refrain uh, from eating, drinking, from sunrise until the sunset. Like we, fasting like mean us to 
teach Muslim to be patience, modesty, and spirituality. Like uh, in this month, like Muslim fast to forsake the God and the, the, the offer more prayer than usual during Ramadan. Muslim ask uh, forgiveness for the past sins, praying for guidance and help in refraining from everyday evil and try to purify themselves through self-restraint and good deeds and yeah basically this is Ramadan for us like we we uh, like every year we are just like being happy and just waiting for Ramadan to come again because we, we feel this month so much for us so growing up tell me about your um your experience with Ramadan so where you grew up mm. where you identify yourself from I remember that yeah and back home because I spent uh, many many years like maybe more than 22 years in Libya and I experienced uh, Ramadan every year there as I described this month for me I will maybe talk about uh, Libyan people and how do they celebrate Ramadan before Ram- the month is coming like before maybe two to three weeks people starting to preparing to preparing themselves uh, prepared by buying food and buying some stuff to decorate uh, the, the houses and some of them like you know when the Muslim pray at the mosque some of the families buying a lot of you know those kind of water but water bottle and dates and divided them in small bag like every three dates together with one bottle of water and preparing them like this and like they make a lot of them preparing them to give give it every day before the maghrib when the sun set since like when the people uh, uh, praying maghrib and they like before praying maghrib like they will already found those uh, dates and water so family like doing this stuff every day almost like yeah for helping people or they or they make them happy for that you know or seeking for those kind of blessing months so how uh, how about in your family how did you guys prepare for ramadan uh usually like you know mix of libyan people and sudanese people because like as a sudanese family living in libya with two different cultures uh sometimes i feel like we have some libyan days ramadan days and some sudanese uh, days by what uh, let's uh, say like the difference for the food there's different we have some kind of drinks that we made in ramadan in sudanese as a sudanese traditional and we have in the meantime some uh, libyan drinks so when we like being together without any maybe what they called like uh, visitors when they came to us we use the sudanese traditional one like the men be- being together eating together uh, usually outside the home because um, in my uh, in, in my country sudan uh, usually all the men and the boys doesn't uh, eat uh, inside the home they bring all their food and all their stuff outside the home at the street because maybe you know like someone lost he didn't uh, arrive yet to his house or her house like his house because the woman being always like what they called eating inside the home but usually you know like when the sun set you can notice all the people all the men around their houses at the street eating together so when we have a visitor in Libya like this we we do the same traditional 
and when we being together like we do the, the, the Libyan one inside the home. So what does a typical iftar or, you know, iftar is when uh, fasting Muslims open or break their fast. So what kinds of food do you prepare for iftar? Mixed between this country and this country. Uh, in Libya, as a Libyan person, I break my fast sometimes with uh, milk and date. And as a Sudanese, I break it with maybe a drink, call it abre. So it's kind of a drink. Uh, it's a little bit complicated because it going through many steps to prepare this kind of drink. But mainly uh, it's about date and about maybe corn and uh, what they call cinnamon, all of this stuff together with the water and a little bit of sugar and date. This is what I break my fast. And when you have uh, lots of people over, are there special types of food that you prepare for iftar? Yes, mainly for Sudanese. We uh, the hours to like the main dish would be called asida with some mulah uh, as a Sudanese and as a Libyan. Uh, I also add, uh, you know, kind of soup called chorba arabia with mini pizza and yeah, maybe some salads and those kind of things besides. So as you get closer and closer toward the end of Ramadan, which is approximately 30 days of fasting, how do you prepare for Eid? Yeah, actually today we went to me and my mom to the mall to prepare for Eid, to prepare ourselves for Eid by buying some some clothes for my uh, new clothes for my sibling and uh, some cups and some stuff to to prepare the what they call the dessert and those cookies for it also so yeah we prepare ourselves by that and yeah maybe in the next few days inshallah we will start to to baking those kinds of cookies and preparing them for it so for those who don't know what Eid is, could you tell us a little bit more about what it is? Okay, as you know, like Ramadan is 30 days, uh, like, uh, yeah, approximately. So after this whole month of fasting, we, pray, we break our, like we will uh, be back to the normal day like by eating our breakfast our lunch and our dinner so we celebrate this kind of of eating again so that's called eat al-futr what's mean like eat which means celebrating and futr like we will eat like futr you know just three meals and uh what they called it's almost about three days yeah, we're celebrating for three days. And some people celebrate for one week, like it depends. So when you and your family moved to St. John, tell me some of the main differences that you noticed in how Ramadan is observed here and how it was observed in Libya. Oh, it's totally different here. Maybe because the Sudanese, oh, okay, maybe there is a big uh, Arab community, but as a Sudanese community, or living community, not that much. Like I miss a lot is the, the mosques around here and there, and the the, the hearing of uh, the adhan like that uh, when uh, it's asked us to pray morning and the evening time and uh, so and uh, you know basically the food is not like there there's a lot of things that ingredients they are missing here in canada or maybe specifically here in st john's maybe because in toronto because of the big uh, muslim culture over there they offer a lot of things but it's not that in the meantime it's not that sad 
I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be in the safe country. I'm happy to have this thing. So um, we are adapting to it. So as we wrap up our little conversation, if you could describe Ramadan in three words, what would you say are those three words? Blessing, forgiveness, patient. And, you know, as we kind of sign off, um, are there any hopes and dreams that you have as you move forward uh, towards the end of Ramadan this year? Yeah, like I'm always like asking to, asking God to be uh, my family safe and healthy. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm, and I'm so grateful to have them in my life. And I'm so grateful to be here in Canada in St. John's like I like I just want to add this thing like I'm so happy to be here like I love the people here how they how they like uh, I remember the, the first days when I came here like I was so worrying and confused about this country and you know being in a, in a new country you don't know anything about the people so when I was going for a walk uh, every evening and I found all the people like smiling and say hi, good day. That was so giving me a lot of a lot of happiness, really. So um, so thank you. Like I would I would say thank you for people here and thank you for uh, giving us the chance to reflect on our uh, on our own and on our uh, sort of you know a way of being. And I think such conversations allow for that to take place in a very nurturing way. So thank you for uh, having a chat with me today, Yusuf. Thank you, Nabila. Thank you so much for inviting me. After this break, Zainova in conversation with Sophia Solomon about the many roles that she dons as part of her job as a community settlement and integration counselor at the AMC. So stay tuned. Volunteering. It can begin with the simplest of gestures. A gift of time, energy, commitment. Something precious that grows stronger with every hand that touches it and grows across communities and through the very fabric of our nation and begins once again with the simplest of gestures. To Canada's six and a half million volunteers, thanks. A message from Volunteer Canada, the Government of Canada, and this station. You are listening to Global Frequencies. Diverse problems, diverse voices. Sophia Solomon, who is the Community Settlement and Integration Counselor at the ANC, talks to Zai about the many ways that she can help newcomers as part of their process of settling themselves, perhaps through a permanent residency route as well. So as part of her position, she can help you settle in your new community. She can help you obtain information on key federal and provincial applications like the MCP and SIN. She can also help you access key community services, liaise with the K-12 school system, and of course, connect to various ANC programs and services. Welcome to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices. I'm Zainova. As you probably have heard about my struggle as a newcomer coming to this country from the previous episode on this show, I mentioned the immigration process, which is taking time to deal with. Besides, you have to deal with cultural shock 
weather, and you have to find a job to survive, and also missing your family far away, learning English, and also applying for permanent residence and citizenship. It's a long process. However, if you know an organization that can help you, maybe it will be much easier. Today, I bring you Sophia Solomon, Community Settlement Integration Chancellor at the Association for New Canadians. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Zai. It's my pleasure to be here today. Are you happy seeing me? I am very happy seeing you. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sophia, please introduce yourself. Sure. So my name is Sophia Solomon, like you mentioned. Uh, I am originally from India, where I grew up uh, until I was 18. And I moved to Dubai with my family, where I did two years of university in 2012. And in 2014, I transferred to Memorial University in Newfoundland as an international student. And here I am six years later. Like you mentioned, I went through the immigration and PR uh, process as well. And uh, I just became a permanent resident uh -huh. last year. So finally. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. You have to tell a, a little bit of experience about, uh, about that. I mean, yeah. uh, the process, how mm -hmm. painful is that for you probably? Oh, my. And, uh, so, so it's like, uh, you know, when the newcomers uh, like us, mm -hmm. what we have to prepare mm -hmm. uh, when we arrive here. And you have to know, like, Example, you come to Newfoundland and you decide to stay here. Mm -hmm. This is the route that you have to take before uh, you feel, uh, you know, like safe. You don't worry about mm -hmm. being deported to your previous mm -hmm. country. You know, that is a very, it's very <clears throat> like a terror. <laughs> yes, for sure. Like, you, you know that, you know, you, you are on a time limit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, coming here, um, I did not have any family. Um, I had to do everything by myself. Yeah. So, and, you know, at that time, we didn't have an organization like the ANC, who were supporting uh, yeah. temporary residents like yeah. myself, like an international student and mm -hmm. temporary workers. So I had to do a lot of things by myself. And by of course, yourself. university okay. kind of helped mm -hmm. a little bit. But yeah, the, the process to getting my permanent residency definitely was not easy mm -hmm. because I had to navigate myself and try to find the information of, you know, yeah. what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And like you said, there's that fear, like, what if I mess up? What if I, you know, it, I make a mistake and I'm sent back and, you know, I can't yeah. come back again. Like, that's always at the yeah. back of your head. So, yeah. You feel absolutely. fall in love with this land and want to stay and yeah. suddenly you have to worry about, <clears throat> about if, if they kick me out from this country, <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, Newfoundland became my home. It yeah. is definitely my home now. So, you know, even before I knew it, I definitely wanted to stay yeah. here and, you know, for, yeah. for good without worrying. Mm. Um, you know, because without worrying of any immigration, you know, barriers. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. What did you study at uh, MAN? <clears throat> sure. I did uh, a bachelor's degree in psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a bachelor of science. And I also did uh, a minor in business administration. Okay. And how long have you been working at TANC? Sure. It's been over a year now, I believe. Um, <clears throat> and for those who don't know me, I am very passionate about the work mm -hmm. I do. Uh, even during my time at MUN, I was on the student union yeah. uh, and I was one of the first uh, first female international students to be yeah. elected on the board. And I was very passionate about, you know, mm -hmm. international student rights and 
you know, all the struggles that we go through. So it's definitely a privilege to be here and uh, to be able to do this work to serve uh, temporary residents and international students uh, in a place where, you know, they might be new and don't really know where to go and what to do. Yeah, wonderful. Now, I don't want to scare newcomers who want to apply for permanent residence. Mm -hmm. How was your experience? Yeah, so like I said, my experience was a bit difficult because I was very anxious about, you know, what I should do, which path I should take. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have much support because I didn't want to, you know, pay thousands of dollars with, to an immigration lawyer, to yeah. which I didn't have, <laughs> and you know, yeah. to help me through that process. But it was hard trying to figure out what I needed to do, and I didn't really have anybody to ask those questions mm-hmm. except my employer at the time, who was great. So it was. It took about a year to you know get all my documents. Of course, there's different things that you need to do depending on what route you take. Yeah. So as I was an international student. We had the Atlantic Immigration Program, yeah. uh, which was catered towards students who graduated from an Atlantic mm-hmm. uh, province. So that was a fairly easy route to take, uh, and it was a new program as well. So I kind of went through that route since I studied here. Um, it took about you know six months to get all my documents together, and another four to six months to finally get my. How PR. many time you have rejected? <laughs> So yeah, my application was sent back once uh, because um, at that time I was supposed to, I didn't put a document which which they wanted me to put in. Yeah. So I panicked. I was like, oh my God, like why did I get this back? Mm-hmm. And it was good to know that they didn't completely reject my application. Yeah. <laughs> I just needed to put that document and yeah. send it in. But of course, that did delay it a little bit because they wouldn't process yeah. the application until they had everything. So that was a little hiccup. But thankfully, they didn't kick me out and I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what you have to provide there is as well health test, right? Yeah, so you have to do um, a, a health test uh, with a medical doctor here that is IRCC approved. Um, you need to have your language test done. So even if you've studied English uh, your whole life, <laughs> you okay. still need to prove that you know English for immigration purposes. Uh, so that would be either an IRCC. Always record? <laughs> yes, well? yeah. definitely. I had to apply for a police record from back home. Uh, so that was both India and Dubai because I've lived in both yeah. places. Um, they want to know that yeah. you're criminal or not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, yeah, that was that was another. Yes, yeah, so well. important to uh, what's that? What I see that this is actually is common for every country in the yes. world, right? Just want to be clear mm-hmm. with our new citizens over mm-hmm. here. So they want uh, really clear uh, data. But mm-hmm. uh, one of interviewing uh, told that uh, citizenship is much easier because mm-hmm. your data is already here. Right. So that's uh, what uh, he said. So uh, yeah. learning from your difficulties, mm-hmm. now you are at the ANC helping newcomers as well. Yes. Tell us about what you're doing. Sure. So my role is to support temporary residents who are international students uh, and temporary workers who are on a work permit. Uh, to help them settle in St. John's and integrate them into the community um, by helping them access important services and address needs that they they may uh, need 
in order to adjust to a new country and to a new place. How many people already come to visit? A lot? Sure, I believe I have about 150 clients wow. so far in the last year. Yeah, so I will call number of uh, my <laughs> friends to ask for help. Oh my god, okay? absolutely! Please tell everyone to. I will keep you busy. Me. <laughs> I love to be busy, so that's good. <laughs> what what else is, uh, do you offer there in this program? Yeah, so specific programs that we offer to um, my clients would be settlement supports, like I mentioned, in terms of what are the initial things that a newcomer would need as soon as they arrive. Yeah. So that could be from getting your MCP card, which is your health card. Um, your SIN number, which is your social insurance, uh, which you need to if you you know get any job, as well as if you know you're looking for housing. So, trying to navigate like what kind of places to look for. Yeah. Um, getting your driver's license or any kind of identity cards, um, SIM cards, and. Of course, you know you need food. So, oh, yeah. where do you go to buy your food? Yeah. Like the different kind of grocery stores. So you provide information about that. Exactly. So it's basically giving them really any kind of information they need, um, and they're not sure where mm -hmm. to go or who to ask. Um, I try my best to provide that information. Yeah, I remember uh, last time because I I am dealing with a doctor as well. I want to find a doctor. So oh yes, I contacted family you. Family doctor too. Family doctor. Yes. So you provide that as well uh, too. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. We I definitely help connect to family doctors in the province, and of course we don't have many, but mm -hmm. and most people are full. But I kind of keep track of you know who's available. Um, Especially because as temporary residents, you know, getting an MCP and a family doctor is very hard, depending mm -hmm. on your residency status and, you know, your work experience and things like that. So yeah. there's definitely barriers there. So we try to, uh, I try to help with that. The things is, I believe many newcomers, they don't speak English. Mm -hmm. How you deal with that? Mm -hmm. You have translator as well? Yeah, so the ANC, we do uh, provide translators uh, as well as interpreters. So for those who can't speak English, uh, we do have that assistance for clients to avail of. So if they're meeting with me and they uh, you know, need a translator, we can certainly arrange for that mm -hmm. uh, during our meeting. So you assist a key federal provincial program applications mm -hmm. like MCP, SIN, STB, all, all kind of thing like that. You direct or you you, uh, you help them uh, to fill the form or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so we do. I do help uh, them complete forms. So some people yeah. just need that kind of an assistance. And of course, even with my experience of you know just applying for PR, we mm -hmm. kind of just need someone to look over our application and yeah. see if it's good or if you made any mistakes and just have like a different set of eyes. Yeah. So I do pro I do do that as well. So I have a lot of newcomer parents who are applying for your know, child uh, mm -hmm. child benefits. So I help them through that process as well. Uh, so what is K-12 school liaison? Liaison provides a sure. support. So it's basically for for parents who have children in the school system mm -hmm. from kindergarten to grade 12. So I help with assisting parents navigate through the school system and connect them with school personnel. So if they need help with, you know, <clears throat> helping them attend meetings or helping their child through different school programs, I can certainly be the person to do that if sometimes parents are not available or they're working, you yeah. know, things like that. As well as if someone need to ask the information about English school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so another key aspect in my role is 
uh, referring uh, clients to both internal and external mm-hmm. programs and community services. So within the ANC itself, we have an ESL, uh, which is English for, as a second language school. So uh, newcomers can uh, take part in our ESL conversation circle, mm-hmm. as well as we have uh, ESL uh classes both in both evening and online mm-hmm. which they can avail of so i have many spouses who assist you know the principal applicant coming to canada who want to improve their english mm-hmm. so they avail of those services as well as we have an employment career services division so for those who are looking for jobs or just graduated from yeah. university access provides help with finding a job and they have various or programs. giving training, training as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if you need help with, you know, uh, creating a resume or improving your interviewing skills, mm-hmm. um, Access is a great place where yeah. they can help you with that. What about a volunteer? Mm-hmm. Volunteering is very important. It's because yeah. that's how you show your mm-hmm. your your skills, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how to interact with people. How. Uh, your program help them to uh, be part of volunteer work? Yeah, absolutely. Volunteering, like you said, is definitely very important. And I recommend it to every client of mine, even if they're looking to volunteer or not, because it's a great place that they can meet new people, you know, make new connections, as well as even if it's just to, you know, make friends or get to know more people uh, in a new place. But also in the future, you never know, you know, when, who is going to, you know, help you maybe find a job or, mm. you know, something like that. But yeah, within the ANC, we have our community connections division uh, where they can take part in many volunteering activities yeah. uh, and be a part of our programs that uh, often include other newcomers. So they can also meet like-minded people with similar experiences themselves, but mm. also different people as well. So yeah, that is also uh, something that... I provide a referral to and make sure that they can avail of that service. Okay, that's awesome, Sophia. Uh, we are back to the permanent residents. Mm-hmm. We're back to the permanent <laughs> residents. What, what, what support do you provide uh, for uh, newcomers who want to sure. uh, apply for permanent residents? Sure, so I provide them the information on the different pathways uh, that they can apply for their permanent residency. Uh, as you know, there's so much information out there and it can be very overwhelming and very confusing. So I kind of break that down um, from, you know, the IRCC website. I get that information and also refer them to that information online so they can better understand as well as help them uh, through the application process itself. So ensuring they have all the documents they need, mm-hmm. going through the checklist and and also o- overlooking their forms. So. Yeah, you know, my experience was I didn't sign one, mm. only one. I didn't <laughs> sign that part, and they they sent back to me, right. and then uh, and then I I signed that part, mm-hmm. but I didn't check down there. The application is already uh, renewed, so right. I have to uh, I have to use the new new form, uh, new form right? Yes. So they uh, send back to me and use new form. Yeah. But that's a, a very simple, it's a very simple mistake. Simple mistake. Yes. So you have to. So they say you you uh, you always check every yes. single thing. Yeah. So sometimes when you are doing the forms, like you said, you 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 are anxious and you want to see like, did you do everything? But you can miss a couple things. So I can yeah. just be that other set of eyes too, because I kind of know now what 
you know, is needed, where it needs to be signed, what information is required. So just ensuring that they have those important information in. Yeah. What What's most a challenge that uh, newcomers mostly face when they deal with you? It's interesting because there's 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 different things, you know, based on people's experience mm-hmm. and what they're looking for. But of course, one of the most challenging things is uh, definitely finding a job. Um, and most people feel a bit isolated, you know. Yeah. St. John's is a small place and people are friendly, but we're still, they're still anxious to go out and meet mm-hmm. new people. And, and another thing is, like I mentioned before, is people trying to improve their English because yeah. um, that can be a barrier to finding employment. So they want to better their language skills before they can, you know, go out and find a job. But we also have, you know, people trying to navigate through the healthcare system, mm-hmm. like I said, MCPs. Um, and also those who are looking for housing yeah. and trying to afford a living here. Yeah. Because things can be very expensive when you're coming from, you know, a different country different with like Especially different money rates. Especially yeah, exactly. money currency. Yeah, many currencies are small. Exactly. So it can be a bit expensive initially when, you know, you just move here and bring come with the money that you have. Yeah. So trying to afford everything can be challenging. Mm-hmm. So the last, last word, so what do you have to say to newcomers before they decide to stay in Newfoundland or um, in Canada? Sure. What they, what they have to prepare? Sure. I mean, they decide to stay in Newfoundland and Canada. It's a, it's a big question, but, you know, it's really based on what kind of life they want to have. And if they feel that this is a place that they belong and if they want to stay here. So in Newfoundland and St. John specifically, Like I mentioned, my position is very new, yeah. um, but it's also great because knowing that this position exists to help a temporary residents who didn't have the support before, um, I would definitely advise them to approach me or the ANC um, because, you know, we're here to help you. Yeah. And um, all our services are for free. So something that's something that people think yeah. that they have to pay. But you don't. You just have to show up. You just have to give me a call. Um, and we can set up an appointment mm-hmm. and go through the different ways that I could help you. Yeah. So even if I don't have all the answers, I'm sure there's so many other community organizations doing great things in the city. So I also do referrals to them. So I'm sure we can... Find a way for all of us to work together and help you out. So don't feel like you're alone. Um, there's many people like you, you know, in the same boat. Mm. And we're all here to help each other. How can they contact you if they want to get your help? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can call me uh, on my phone number, which is 709-552-4736. Or you can send me an email at s. S-O-L-O-M-O-N at A-N-C-N-L dot C-A, which is S-Solomon at A-N-C-N-L dot C-A. I'll call you tonight. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. I'll be waiting. <laughs> Sobia, thank you very much for the information. It's very important information for newcomers. Sure. If I knew from the beginning, my life was not as difficult <laughs> to get permanent resident. I know. I agree. I wish, I wish that too. But hey, we're here now. So hopefully... This will make it easier. We learned from others. our lesson. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for having me, Tai.
that was episode 13 and i hope you enjoyed what we had in store for you and if you would like to be a part of our show and if you would like to share any story that you think is fascinating and you really want to get it off your chest then please contact us by emailing us at globalfrequencies at ancnl.ca until next time this is nabila qureshi signing off Thank you for listening to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices. This program is presented by the Association for New Canadians and CHMR 93.5 FM with funding from the Community Radio Fund of Canada. The ANC is a non-profit community-based organization dedicated to the provision of settlement and integration services for immigrants in the province for over 40 years. CHMR FM is an award-winning community radio station operating out of Memorial University. The station has been broadcasting a range of music, spoken word, and cultural programming since 1987. If you would like to touch base with us, email us at globalfrequencies@ancnl.ca. At